The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you are caring for a person with autism, great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. We are here to have the conversations that will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio, everybody. I'm Rob Haupt, your host. Uh, I am the vice president of Business development, I think. I can't always remember that title. Uh, at Autism Spectrum Therapies, an agency that provides uh, ABA, speech, OT, uh, general support and guidance to families with kids with developmental disabilities across the country. Uh, I'm also a BCBA, a board certified behavior analyst, um, and worked with a really diverse group of kids, adults uh, here on the West Coast where I'm speaking to you from as well as back home on the East Coast. Um, feeling really great about the East Coast right now, actually. I, I'm leaving tomorrow to, to head back home to New York. Going to take some time with my dad and do a little little father-son trip, um, do some nice bonding and um, just really, really looking forward to it. Um, and that's kind of been my, my vibe this whole week is really – I don't know, taking some time to, to, to put things in perspective, even just as the, as the show was opening, I looked out my window and I saw this bird that I've never seen before, uh, by my, by my desk out my window. And I was like, wow, that's an interesting thing. I really am appreciating that at the moment. Uh, and just really understanding the importance of that. And I feel like that's been the, the theme of my, my week in the occurrences and, and situations I found myself in is, Lots of reminders to stop, take a deep breath, and enjoy the moment. Appreciate the moment that I'm in. Not let the stress, the frustrations of what happened uh, earlier in the day, the day before, impact what I'm ha- doing right then and there. And, and I am really guilty of that. My wife would be the first one to say that I carry too much baggage with me and uh, don't always kind of focus in on, hey, you're having fun right now. And I think that's a really important message for all of us. Uh, and it's it's one that I feel like parents have been giving me this week. And it's one that I feel like um, my colleagues have been giving me this week. Yeah, talking to, uh, talking to my friend, uh, longtime friend of mine, um, she has probably twice the amount of experience that I do in the field supporting families um, who have children on the spectrum, um, she really told me this week and reminded me uh, this past week about, you know, really focusing in on, on, on what's happening right now, you know, not getting too bogged down in everything. And I, I was really resonating and our conversation had a lot to do with just the ongoing changes that come with this new insurance funding that we're always talking about here on the show and, and that 
you know, as I've shared with you guys, is a big part of my day-to-day life and job um, at AST. Um, but she really, she, we were talking about just how these changes are affecting things, how things are changing, um, and how easy it would be to get bogged down in all the different changes and all the little minutiae. But it, it makes us lose sight of the situation. And I think that as I'm looking at this one instance, this one child's needs, this one scenario, that's the most important thing. The, the other stuff can, can um, help me, but if I'm going to be writing a report for that one child to try and get funding approved, that's the thing i got to focus in on. I can't let all of the other stuff, all the history, all the fears, all these things uh, or, or frustrations impact me. And I think that was really good advice that then I was able to give back to a parent who was prepping for an IEP. And they're an old vet at the IEP process and, and the type of person who could probably teach me a few things about the IEP process still. Um, but giving that person that same reminder, which I think they needed, was you've got this history of, of dealing with your school district or dealing with your team, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But you've got to come in with this fresh perspective, this fresh start, because this IEP is its own thing, its own event, its own situation. And that's the only thing that matters right now. And we don't want to let our other baggage kind of come into the scenario and sway it in one way or the other. We, we want this to be a success. And one of the best ways to make it a success is to really look at it for people at that moment, what their intentions are, what the goals are, what the purpose is. And, and, I, and, and she let me know that that was something that was really important for her to just be reminded of. Um, because I think we all know this. I think this is stuff we know. We know, but it can be really hard to remember sometimes the things we know when the stress builds up or the frustration builds up, um, when you've been up all night because your child was sick or because you yourself just had a crummy night's sleep for whatever reason, if you're like me, because some of these stress cause you to have a, a funky dream and stay up. Um, so I think this is a really just good lesson for me to be reminded of throughout these, all these little small events throughout the week. So that's my story. That's my talking. Uh, let's get into our guest. I am really excited to be joined today um, by someone who I've actually gotten to hear speak and uh, present to a room full of teachers, which was a really cool experience for me um, to kind of see this whole interaction um, because my guest today is uh, Dr. Paula Kluth. Uh, she's a consultant, an author, an advocate, as well as an independent scholar who works with teachers and families providing inclusive opportunities for students with disabilities and uh, to create more responsive, engaging schooling experience for all learners. Uh, she's the author or the co-author of 10 books, including Don't We Already Do Inclusion? 100 Ways to Improve Inclusive Schools, you're going to love this kid. Teaching students with autism in inclusive classrooms, a land we can share. Teaching literacy to students with autism, the autism checklist, joyful learning, active and collaborative learning in the inclusive classroom, and from tutor scripts to talking sticks, 100 ways to differentiate instruction in K through 12 inclusive classrooms. Uh, Paula, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Rob. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Um, and that's funny. I, 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 you know, I saw you uh, present to uh, a teachers conference down in um, Lafayette, Louisiana, about two years ago, 
And uh, so I was really excited to have you on the show today because I just really liked so much of what you were talking about and, and so much of the point of view you brought because it was I, – I feel like it's very uh, realistic. It's very much about life. It's you know the balance of here's the research, here's what the experts are telling us, but let's also talk about what is life and what is life really like and how do we incorporate this into day-to-day life. Well, oh, thank you for that. I didn't realize you had been at that talk. And, um, you know, it's uh, one of the biggest compliments that I can get, you know, is that there's information there that's, that's practical um, yeah. as well as connected to research. But, but I have to say, you know, in your intro, you talked about, you know, being focused at an IEP meeting. Mm-hmm. And, it may, and you said, I've learned a lot from colleagues and families. And, you know, really what uh, probably is more true than not is, is most of what I'm presenting I have learned from a lot of from seasoned teachers, but a lot from families who actually yeah. figured out long before, you know, probably a lot of professionals did that you had to be, you know, no matter what the research said, it had to work for you. And I also think that families are the ones that brought us the, the real message, I'm sorry, the message of inclusion, because they're the ones that figure out how to sort of include, um, you know, their own family members in every mm-hmm. event from sunup to sundown. Mm-hmm. And um, as Doug, my colleague Doug Bicklin always says, you know, the family is the most inclusive structure on earth. And um, and then finally, I think, you know, a lot of families are the ones that figured out, as you said in the IEP meeting, hey, let's make this about, let's get rid of all that baggage and let's make this about the person. And families are always masterful at saying, remember that we're talking about my child. Yeah. And so I, I have to say a lot of it's, it's begged and borrowed and, and stolen uh, from families. And, and so I always have to let them know, yes, I, I realize that, um, that the message has come from, from them first. So thank you for that. That's a great, great introduction into the work, I think. Well, I, you know, and I think what's really cool about that is what you just said, like, what is more inclusive than a collaborative approach? It's like everyone is included in this process. So the fact that we're getting, you're talking about inclusion from a very inclusive perspective of how this information got gathered is, is kind of a cool little, a little, you know, I guess paradigm or, or coincidence. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, really it's, um, you know, my, I have um, a colleague who talks about inclusion as, I mean, we, I always say inclusion is not a place. It's a process. You know, people yeah. will talk about, well, I have an inclusive school or I don't, or this is an inclusive classroom. Well, really it's a way of being in the world, isn't it? I mean, it's not yeah. so much it's a place, it's a, it's a mindset about, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a way of critiquing things is to say, you know, do we, do we all belong? Do we all have membership here? Um, mm-hmm. Are there ways for us to be together? And what is a community anyway? What is a school anyway? So I, I think about it in those terms that, um, you know, when places, one of the things I talk about in, in this new project, this new book that you mentioned, um, Don't We Already Do Inclusion?, <laughs> is, uh, you know, kind of ask some of those questions. I was at a couple of schools, and they had an inclusion room in their inclusive school. And I said, well, if you have an inclusion room, you know, it may not be an inclusive school because does that mean that the other spaces in the school aren't open and available, you know, for for everybody? And so that was a conversation that we had to have, and I think that's a conversation that can can be had at a church. It can be had, you know, in a recreation center, it can be had in a family and a community, um, but it's really about who we are together. Yeah. Well, we've got a commercial break we've got to take. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk more with uh, Dr. Paula Kluth about inclusion and about her work because it's, it's a topic that I know every one of our listeners um, is probably either in the process of 
being involved in or already in. So uh, we'll talk more with her after this. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today and let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, supporting extraordinary individuals and their families. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're here at Autism Spectrum Radio talking with Dr. Paula Kluth about inclusion. Um, and, you know, the, the, the question I had for you, Paula, it, it's really funny. It has so much to do with the title of, of your new book, actually, is um, I feel like sometimes um, I've talked to people or I are, you know, in, amongst the community and et cetera who say, Kind of like what you said, don't we already do inclusion? Isn't this something that we're already doing a lot of? Um, and so why is it still so important for us to, to keep this dialogue going? Well, you know, I think it, you know, it, the, the book came about because of a lot of those conversations that I was having with folks. And um, one of the things that coincided with me writing the book was that um, I, I started running, mm-hmm. <laughs> which has also been a process. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, a lot of people know about uh, the, the Nike slogans that we all love and put on T-shirts, but one of them is there is no finish line. And <laughs> I think that's really appropriate for any social movement. It's certainly yeah. appropriate for inclusive education is we never really get there. It's like with parenting. I mean, we're always trying to sort of improve. And um, in any, um, you know, process as an educator, I felt like, you know, I was always trying to to better my work. And so I think with inclusive schooling, a couple of things are in play. Number one is that a lot of school, there's a lot of different, so first of all, that, that it is a process. So even if you're already doing a great job and bringing a lot of kids into our schools, that we might, there might be a whole host of questions that we want to ask that we haven't considered. So some people think that the placement itself is enough. And then I might ask questions about, well, are kids meaningfully involved enough? Are they involved in extracurricular activities? 
the school, you know, you're an inclusive school, yet I don't see kids who have a lot of friendships. What about the dances? Um, how accessible is your transportation to all kids? So then we sort of take it up another level. So that was one thing I was seeing was that it was always a process. There was no finish line. And then the other thing, the other reason it came about was because I felt like we just had a lot of mixed definitions of inclusion. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of people thought that, you know, when I, when I was working with, especially with long-term clients, they would say, well, we, we did inclusion last year. Now we're doing multiculturalism or something. <laughs> and so as if it was something to be trained on once and we could learn about it and maybe it was appropriate here, but not here. So maybe different people were thinking about it in different terms or he yeah. did access to these activities, extracurriculars, but we would, you know, but, but never for literacy or, or reading or something. So we thought, yeah. you know, it was time to sort of come on with a shared definition and start making sure that everybody was, on a more similar page, if not the same page, and then also start talking about the process. You know, I, I like the the concept you kind of talked about in the beginning. It's like, what really is inclusion? Is it the placement or is it what's really happening in that environment? Um, and and I've, I've always really leaned on the latter, that it's one thing to be in a classroom, but if you're really not included in that classroom, it, it seems to defeat the purpose because – it's like you said, it's a philosophy, not just a, I'm sitting here in the room and I'm here. So do you have, like, are there things that are critical that we, that families should look for um, when thinking about inclusion into a classroom, into a general ed classroom for their child on the spectrum? Um, Absolutely. I mean, I think you're absolutely right um, about the uh, placement piece. If it's, just, you know, I always say, if you just get the real estate of a general ed classroom, that's not inclusion. Yeah. And that's true for a child with or without a disability. There's a lot of kids who just don't feel welcomed, they don't feel safe, and they don't feel included. Mm-hmm. And that's why, just to back up a bit, I always talk about inclusive schools are not just about disability. It's about all of our kids who feel marginalized. Yeah. So in truly inclusive schools, we're not only critiquing, is this accessible, and is it appropriate and is it challenging? But we're also critiquing, does this person feel like they have a home here? So if we're not culturally sensitive and if we're not thinking about the needs of gay and lesbian youth and if we're not thinking about gender and if we don't think about, um, you know, any number of factors that kids bring into our classrooms, that's about inclusion, too. Do families feel welcome and so on? Mm. Um, as for what we should see there, I mean, this is not my definition, but um, a colleague and really a um you know, I would say the father or grandfather of inclusion, um, a guy named Wolf uh, Wolvensberger, who did mm-hmm. a lot of deinstitutionalization work, he talked about uh, inclusion as valued participation, that goes to your point, Rob, that in valued activities and in valued settings. So it's about all of those things. It's, it is about the space. In other words, we want to make sure kids get access to the same spaces that they're classmates and their friends and their neighbors are accessing, but it has just as much to do with what's happening there. So families need to look for, is this space accommodating? In other words, is from a sensory perspective, you know, can people mm-hmm. talk, they always want to show me the sensory room in their school. And mm. I always want to see how sensory safe your entire building is. <laughs> so right. it's like, that's great, but... You know, I have kids without identified needs, but I want them to be in a sensory safe school. So I want to say, you know, do we have a do we have a, a range of seating for everybody in many classrooms? Do we have, you know, what does the lighting look like? Are there alternatives in these classrooms for lighting? And these are just good practices for all kids. 
Do we have mm-hmm. great visuals for all kids? Mm. Um, so families should look for the environment. They should look for, you know, as you said, what's happening there. Not only is the curriculum rigorous, appropriate, and adapted if necessary, um, but does it bring in my child's interest? So we're not just sitting him in the classroom, but we're saying, you know, if you can't learn statistics without bringing in the, the uh, you know, the number of the, the, you know, the Green Bay Packers, which I am biased because I'm from Green Bay, but <laughs> if you can't, you know, it's easier for you to learn that because one of your passions and fascinations in life is football and statistics, right. and we should be bringing that in. That shows that we're honoring your difference. And then yeah. we should also be looking for things like, you know, the the relationships. If you're in a classroom but you don't have a single friend, that should be a concern as your, for mine, as your educator. And it should be a concern for any teacher, for any kid, not just kids with these labels. I mean, we should be really thinking about that's true inclusion when we build a community and when kids know to look out for each other, not just not, I don't bully him, but I am an ally. And again, yeah. I really feel strongly these are not issues just around kids with autism labels or just kids who are on the spectrum. But they're, for every kid, we should be thinking about these issues. And then finally, families should be you know, looking for opportunities for kids to get their, uh, their individualized goals and needs met. So that if you've got a whole page of IEP objectives around your communication system or device, that there should be, those should be addressed daily in the context of standards-based instruction. Mm-hmm. And these are the kinds of things I work with teachers on all the time is to say it's not enough to, again, just bring kids into that space, but can you not only access curriculum instruction that your peers are accessing, but are you getting exactly what you need? So, I mean, you touched on a lot of things I kind of want to break down into to some, some smaller questions. So I, I'm thinking, let, let's start with the teacher. You know, my mom is a, is a math teacher. She's been teaching high school math um, for, for forever, for, for a really long time. And, and she's always worked with a diverse group. And so I kind of have this great opportunity to kind of hear a teacher's perspective um, from being in front of a classroom that I personally don't have. And... I know one of the things that she would ask is, you know, if I'm in this situation, if I am getting new to um, inclusive, you know, I have a child in my class, um, I'm not an autism expert, let's say, um, is it critical for me as a teacher to study up on everything about autism and everything about that? Or is it more important for me to have a, a general philosophy? I know you, you use the word philosophy a few times. Like, what's that balance a teacher should ultimately strive for. You know, and, and I would add a third thing too, Rob, Great. Um, is that maybe maybe the number one piece would be neither of those. Maybe it's just getting to know that kid, just like mm. she has had to for many years, you know, um, get to know that individual kid that just has you scratching your head. Yeah. Um, so I do, think, I do think knowing about, I mean, you and I would both say knowing about autism is important. I don't want to minimize mm-hmm. that, but I think you and I would also both agree if you know one student with autism, you know one student with autism. Exactly. So knowing something about autism, I think any parent um, would say, oh, gosh, I hope this teacher knows something about my child, you know, sensory issues, communication issues. Um, but I think being willing to, to sort of understand that, that no, you know, every child will be different is, is as mm-hmm. important. So you have to know that kid and mm-hmm. be willing to learn from that kid. And that kind of goes to my second piece, which I always say is, you know, it's to have a philosophy of, you know, not only sort of this inclusiveness, but I think also just a, a way of being open and being willing to learn from, the, from just be a learner. In other words, I don't know the answer to this, 
So I'm going to see if I can ask this child or I can learn from this family or someone else around me. And mm-hmm. you know, you and I both know there are so many families who are desperately waiting for that phone call and say, please ask me. I know the answer. I know the yeah. answer. I know how to help him. I know how to tutor him. I know how he can best understand this concept. Just use Legos, you know, ask him in Spanish. Like he likes that. They have yeah. the answers of the quirks and the likes and the, of their kid. And so sometimes, um, you know, parents, I think, feel really devalued because they don't get in, They don't get asked um, as much mm-hmm. as they'd like. And then I think if we can involve the learner, that's great. You know, one of the things that I ask kids, especially you mentioned high school, is when kids get older, if they are verbal and they can represent themselves and they feel comfortable doing so, part of the advocacy journey is I often ask kids to make, in the old days, they used to have them make, you know, three-fold pamphlets. Now I have them make, you know, YouTube videos or any kind of product that they revise every year where they teach their teachers. And oh, it's cool. really saying, this is who I am as a learner. Any of these products can be transferred to college. You know, like if you have, you know, you tell your instructor, look, I've made this video about the tips for me. I had kids make tip sheets. This is how I learn best. Um, so it goes kind of beyond the old, you know, information about my child. It translates to the child then advocating and saying, you know, it really helps if you write things down instead of tell me. Um, mm-hmm. I like to sit in the front row. Please chunk my work into, you know, sets of three. Um, I like things. I like, to, I like to use video. So if there's any apps you want me to get, you know, anything like that, that we can not only teach kids how to advocate for themselves and how they learn best, but then we can then help teachers learn right from the expert, him or herself. I love that. I think that is such a great thing for, I mean, what just sets such a great standard for the child as well of, like you said, how to start advocating because those skills will help in college and in the job placements and and, in everything. That's awesome. Or as one friend said, it will also help in dating because, (laughs) you know, uh, Stephen Shore is a great advocate in in the uh, world of autism. You know, he talks about, you know, being really explicit with people and when do you disclose and how do you advocate? And I mean, really, it's good communication. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I'm going to have to play this show for uh, one of a friend of mine, uh, a, a 19-year-old uh, young man on the spectrum was on the on the show with us a couple of weeks ago talking a little bit about his desire to date. So I feel like, oh, I've got a tip. I have to have to tell him to listen to this show because he's going to get a good tip to help him with his dating. Um, most people wish that they had a tip, sh- tip sheet for dating the person yeah. that they're interested in. You know, know. so they're not bad ideas. That's what I've said to him too, to to let him know that it's hey, it's it's okay. We've we've all been there and struggled. Um, well, let's take a a quick commercial break and let's come and talk a little bit more with Dr. Paula Kluth about inclusion and some of the other benefits to creating these inclusive environments, not just classrooms. I will be back. more live better voice america health and wellness autism spectrum therapies is proud to present autism spectrum radio at ast we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential our promise is to support families through our extensive resources highly trained staff and outstanding programs Call us today and let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. 
connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, supporting extraordinary individuals and their families. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're joined today by Dr. Paula Kluth, um, talking about inclusive learning environments, but really uh, in- inclusion also as a, as a philosophy, as a way of life. Um, and one of the things you, 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 we talked about in the first segment that we started to talk a bit about that I want to go more into is the impact of inclusion on all of the kids. And I, I have to assume that through your work, through your experiences, you've got a lot of, um, you must have seen where the other kids in the class or the other kids in the school are, are benefiting as well. Um, and, and what are some of those benefits that you've been seeing? There's no doubt. I mean, what, there's no doubt about these benefits. I mean, one of the, so one of the reasons I, you know, I so desire an inclusive education for my own kids who don't have any, mm-hmm. any kind of educational labels at all um, I just absolutely think it's part of a of a high quality education. Um, we have seen when I first started in the field over 20 years ago, we, we were fighting as researchers to try to find. Well, I wasn't a researcher then, a, a young teacher, but to make the case that this wouldn't hurt kids yeah. with you know without disabilities. And now we're making the case of um, now the newest research is about the benefits, the academic benefits. So through my career, first it was that, well, there seemed to be some social benefits for all kids and they seem to have stronger communities and, you know, it seems to get you more resources. And now more recently that we're seeing great academic benefits for all kids when we do co-teaching, when we bring responsive educational practices into the classroom and so on. But I think there are other benefits, too, that are sometimes sort of less celebrated um, than even academic benefits, Um, Mm -hmm. things like... um, you know, seeing different kinds of, um, see, one of the principles I work with talks about learning about yourself as a learner, and he mm-hmm. didn't come in necessarily as an advocate for inclusion, but he came into an inclusive school, and he said, it's amazing to me how these kids, he said, we have weighted snakes in the classrooms, we have different seating in the classrooms, we have alpha smarts, you know, it's everywhere in their school. And mm-hmm. he said, so, you know, he said, my own schools, it was like there was one way to learn, and you either succeeded or you failed, and you either could do the task or you couldn't. He said, now the kids, they talk about, like, I can do, he can't do that, but he can do this, and I can write with both hands, but he can actually, you know, use his communication device. And he's just amazed at how sophisticated the kids in his new school were at talking about themselves as learners. Like, third graders knew that they were kinesthetic learners or wanted to use a sensory box. And these are kids without disabilities. Yeah. So he thought, he said, what a gift I wish I would have had. So he got really on board because of that issue. We also see that kids get 
more access and really high-quality inclusive schools, they get access to augmentative and alternative communication. So that's really cool for young learners who are clever and want to sort of play with new literacies. Kids love to use the switches. They love to use the Dynavox. They love to Mm -hmm. sort of have their turn and compose stories using sort of different formats. Um, and so I wrote a piece with uh, my colleague, Kelly Chandler Olcott, and we wrote about the benefits of a diverse literacy classroom, specifically talking about autism. And we said, mm-hmm. these kids got to sort of play with all this assistive tech and sort of emerge in different ways as not only writers, but readers as well. You know, kids that would have never had Kindles early on in the Kindle game, <laughs> in mm. the e-reader game, got to experiment with those. And that profited kids who we didn't know needed that support. Um, you know, and, and, and finally, we see a lot of access to different kinds of resources like, you know, paraprofessionals or, you know, speech therapists. Even from the even from in high schools, I'm seeing kids getting interested in occupations that they didn't know existed. So one young lady said to me, a vision itinerant, like that's a job I can have. And so yeah. the vision itinerant did a um, did a little uh, internship that she wow. developed for a young lady. And I think that's the other piece is we have to start talking about our work in schools. A lot of, um, I know I became a special ed teacher because I worked, uh, I was in a school where there was a great special ed teacher who was doing sort of the beginnings of inclusion. And she let me behind the curtain to learn about her work. Uh, you know, so that's another benefit is like we talk about this and these are going to be things that kids may be interested in. Um, but finally, I think that for a lot of kids, it's inclusion is an opportunity to give and get support. So we talk a lot about how helpful it is for kids to sort of, you know, all kids to not to have reciprocal relationships. So not just for you to give support to somebody else, which a lot of kids with disabilities or kids on the spectrum receive, but also that inclusion allows you to get support too, because it makes it safe for any kid to give and get support. You know, I think in the best sort of the best um, orchestrated inclusive classrooms, that element of togetherness is really fostered. And we see a lot of kids who are, edgy kinds of kids who have struggled emotionally. Mm. For example, some of our tough kids, when they can actually provide support to somebody, oftentimes they sort of emerge as a different kind of kid. And then likewise, when I see a kid on the spectrum who finally gets to be a giver, when he's had to receive a lot of services, it's very empowering for that person too, when he gets to be the expert on all things, you know, hot air balloons or the expert on all things um, in one classroom, calculus. He was such a calculus um, guru. Wow. I think those are really important, less talked about uh, benefits for sure. I think that, I mean, what you, that's so cool. I never, I've never thought about that, that idea of it, it creates an environment where I, I, it, it makes sense, where it's okay to ask for help. And I right. feel like sometimes in our society, that can be a scary thing to ask for as we get older, but you're setting such a great tone early on. That's amazing. That's cool. It kind of goes back to that advocacy, teaching that advocacy early on. Yeah. I mean, we've had some very funny stories at the school I referenced um, where they, all the kids were sensory smart. You know, uh-huh. they would go up to subs and they would tell the sub, like, I really, I'm going to need a brain break right now. Or, I'm, you know, I'm going to, wow. excuse me, can I pause and just get my, I mean, these are not kids on the, on the spectrum. These aren't kids with labels, but they know. Sure. That. And the subs are like, who are these kids? <laughs> because they have such awareness. And that goes back to them advocating which was something that we both thought, you know, from a perspective of, of life, um, yeah. was important. That's amazing. You know, to, to follow up with this, I, I have to assume that there's some work up front. It's, you know, you can't snap your fingers and create an inclusive environment where all the kids say, yep, I'm in, this is great, I'm ready to help and be helped. 
how do you how do you set it up to get kids to be informed as to like what's going on? And I guess how much do you share with them um, as you're doing that? Well, you know, I don't know if people would agree or disagree with this, but I thought it was neat. I was talking to a colleague um, who is a teacher um, teacher educator, and she was saying that okay. she has a, had a student who was a math a high school math teacher, and all he does for the first like something like two weeks of school is community building. So they they do solve mm. problems that have mathematics related. So they may engineer a structure or something like that, but they do it yeah. as a team. So you engineer a structure with marshmallows. I'm you know just that kind of sure. stuff. And they do a lot of you know we're this we're this group, and they make a handshake. But he believes that the best work can get done in the safest environment, in the most playful environment, um, in one that really fosters that sense of togetherness or community, whatever you want to call it. And so I don't. Um, I don't see that happening a lot, but yeah. that's what some teachers do is they, they may not have to take two weeks doing it, but that they naturally or they very um, regularly integrate this idea of community building, whether that's team building exercises or having class meetings. And I always say, even at the high school level, I think this is critical. And I think building it into curriculum is one way to do that in a standards-based world that we live in. Mm-hmm. So I always give the example, for instance, of, um, I call it sophisticated show-and-tell. But I say that there's, you know, we should have show and tell at every grade level. Um, and I talk about the sophisticated ways to do that in the context of instruction. So, um, you know, with an eighth grade class, I think it was eighth graders, and they were reading the diary of Anne Frank. And I was telling the teacher about some community building ideas. And I said, you know, here's a class where they, they need to get, they need to know more about each other, give and get support. So I said, why don't you have them bring in something that means a lot to them, um, so that's if they had to go to the attic that Anne had to go to, they had to leave, go to the attic tomorrow. What's the one thing that they would bring? So all the kids had to bring something. Now there's a young man on the spectrum who brought his lawnmower manuals and the kids thought they were awesome, by the way. Um, cool. you know, a kid who is not, not of any label at all, kind of a cool kid in the middle school, he brought a teddy bear and he's like, look, if I could only bring one thing and I was going in the attic, I'd bring this. No comments, no laughing. This is what wow. I would bring. You know, other kids took other risks, too, and it was really cool. And they said, you know, Anne took her movie star posters. What would you bring? So I give lots of examples of those are the kinds of exercises. When we do an immigration unit, everybody bring one aspect that's important about your family story. Um, So those are the kinds of things where you can connect it, having kids ask and answer questions that are sort of personal to them, but also connected to the curriculum. So how are you most like this figure that we're studying? Those are some of the things that we can do, but I also think you have to have really explicit conversations with kids and take on, and we know now that people hear the, the R word in the hallway, right? and, and they hear the, the F word, the fag, and they hear retard, and they, we know from that some teachers really come down on that, and some teachers don't, and yeah. some schools have policies. So explicit conversations with kids about individual kids and with classes, again, not only about well, I would never do that. But also, what do you do as an ally when you hear it? Yeah. So I think, you know, and, you know, that along with the sensory stuff, <laughs> helping all kids be supported in a way. And I think finally, telling all kids that teachers not only will, I think getting away from the fair and equal stuff, I think is important. And telling them that in any cl- diverse classroom, you'll never be, you know, you'll never d- treat them the same as each other. It's just not the way parents parent, not the way teachers teach. 
and they're different, so you're going to treat them differently, and that's that's what a professional does. That's how the best meet their needs. So I always tell kids, you'll never, ever get the same from me because it wouldn't be right. Um, it's not what you need, but I'm always going to try my best to give you exactly what you need. Yeah. And when we do that, then we reach out to all kids in different ways, and we show them that we honor their differences, we think about the challenges that they need, and we bring their uniqueness into curriculum instruction. I like that because, I mean, that's always been, from my experience, you know, the, the two, of the, two of the things that come up is um, how explicit do I get with about what's going on with this child and is it fair to do something different for this child versus that child? And I think both of you, you really hit both of them well of let's be honest and let's also tie it into, you know, life. It's I don't think you would want education to be exactly the same for every single person. That's right. Well, and I think if you tell kids that, then you have to walk the walk. So I will tell kids, mm. you know, back when I was in the classroom every day, you know, yesterday, yes, so-and-so is going to get to use this piece of technology today. But, you know, yesterday, I, you were the only one that co-taught. Remember you co-taught with mm. me? Tennis? You're the only one that did that. And you were the only one that I called at home to sort of give that feedback on your poetry. And I put a note in your mailbox, you're the only one that got it that day. Once kids start seeing that there is this, especially I love with co-teaching and a lot of people coming together in classrooms, that we can really walk the walk. So we have to be careful that we just don't tell them that, but that we actually do it. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Well, we've got one final commercial break uh, that we've got to take. So we'll take uh, our last commercial break and then come back with our final segment. We'll be right back after this. you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today and let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, supporting extraordinary individuals and their families. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. 
Hey, welcome back to our final segment, everybody. I'm Rob Haupt, your host, and I'm joined today by uh, Dr. Paula Kluth. Um, you know, I, Paula, a question just came up to me literally a minute ago um, as we were coming back to the break. And, and I was curious if, if this is something you've seen. Um, it, it may be very specific to kids on the spectrum. It may not be. Um, but one of the things I know I've heard um, – particularly from some of my uh, former students who are a little bit older, who are getting into the middle school, high school age, is as much as they want to be incorporated and included and in these environments that we're just talking about today, they also really appreciate environments where they can be with other kids who are like themselves. Um, And I had one uh, young man um, who had Asperger's who really thrived. And and he said to me he, he personally thrived. Um, when he was around uh, other kids with Asperger's because it felt like he, he could identify in, in a way that he just couldn't in his um, general ed class. And I, I was curious if that's something that you've seen and, um, and if so, is there, is there a balance um, that we need to strive for? It's a really good question. I think one that we have seen before, but maybe not with this population. So it's come mm-hmm. up with, um, you know, it's come up around lots of sort of discrete populations of kids mm-hmm. um, where it's like I feel more comfortable just with kids I perceive to be like me. And yeah. so I was working with a bunch of kids who are gay and lesbian. And in fact, in Chicago, we tried to have a high school for a while that was just kids who are gay and lesbian because kids sure. from a social perspective that felt safer. Yeah. And so that, that was explored for a while and, and, um, and it has been in other places. But uh, so I think in any, I think it's a great sort of challenge to a lot of inclusive schools, um, is to say, how can we create, uh, how can part of inclusion be that we, again, offer that sort of safe and challenging, um, um school setting that gives kids, um, a lot of opportunities for individualization. And sometimes that may mean, working alone, working in small group, um, independent study, uh, kind of thinking out of the, the school box a little bit. Um, yeah. It's not that I, I don't think kids should ever, you know, that sort of it should look just this way for all kids. I think that, I just think that all kids should have those opportunities because we hear that same argument from lots of different learners. I just feel mm-hmm. safer in these sort of other settings. I think one of the role, one of two things that are going to help us with that, um, with sculpting the, the schools of the future um, I think some of these things are harder to do for younger kids because, quite frankly, there may only be a couple of other kids with your label, and you may not even like those two kids. Sure. <laughs> you know? Like I think when kids get to be adults, it's an it's an easier plea to make because you're you know places where there's more folks around. You're in support Agreed. groups and things like that. Um, but I think two things that will help us: one is more collaboration in schools, mm-hmm. so that you can have more co-teaching, more collaboration, social workers working within classrooms and mm-hmm. and um, integrated arts and things like that, so that some kids, especially as they get older, as you said, can choose to do things that are more individualized. So that you might have a mentor that brings you and a couple of other kids through designing a web page or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or some kids in one school I was working on, there was a couple of kids. They didn't all have the same label, but they all had a lot of interest and they were just struggling in school. So a, a teacher, a teacher took a couple of them on sort of in pseudo independent study. And those kids got to write a screenplay. 
So I think, you know, community gardening, you know, in one school, a lot of the kids who were sort of had some, some unique challenges together, a lot of those kids could opt into this community garden, got them outside, less traditional nice. setting, and you could get credits for those things. Cool. I just think, I think that's good schooling for everybody. Um, I think we have to work together more to offer unique options, especially as early as middle school for that, and even maybe later high school. And the other thing that's going to play a big role, I think, is technology, you know, to allow kids, now kids through what we call um, uh, the um, Khan Academy and some of those programs we flipped classrooms, kids are going to be able to sort of do some independent study in ways they couldn't before. Mm -hmm. Um, Kids that are higher level in mathematics, for example, there's another reason a kid on the spectrum may not want to be, you know, with other kids, he's actually accelerating above in the classes. So you could take a meteorology class at a college, but just do your own sort of study on that. Finding some balance there for kids, I think, is helpful for all learners. The, the less our schools sort of look, um, you know, like square peg, round hole situations for all kids, and the more individualization, you're going to find that they're more academically appropriate for kids and more socially satisfying. And uh, I think that we shouldn't sort of inc- inclusion, if it's going to mean that we're serving the needs of kids on mm-hmm. the spectrum, then it has to mean listening to them as well. And I think you bring up a really good point. Yeah, it, you know, it just occurred to me. Like I said, it, it wasn't something that I, I was thinking of when we first started talking. But um, I just, you know, I, I think it, it, that the point that I really have gotten loud and clear from you today, whether it be me as a teacher, me as a, a behavior analyst, me as a principal, and probably even me as a parent, is really listening to the child about what is it that they really um, want and need is, is an important part of this inclusion process. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, we've got five minutes left, um, and I know uh, one of the, the the big things I want to make sure we touch upon as as we're wrapping up here is uh, just how families, uh, our listeners out there, can can stay in touch with you um, because you you have so much insight to share, and I'm sure we just scratched the surface in in today's conversation. Um, I know one of your websites is uh, com. Um, another yeah. one is www.differentiationdaily.com. Um, but are there other ways for families or, uh, or just, uh, I guess, uh, colleagues to, to uh, stay in touch with you? Absolutely. Um, I know that second website, that's a mouthful. Um, yeah, the first yeah. two, um, <laughs> the paulacluth.com is just my professional website. So you're going to find more sort of disability-related or autism-related or inclusion-related resources there, some articles, and my, my professional blog is there. Differentiation Daily is more of a teacher resource, though some families may find it helpful, especially in summertime. Nice. So every day I sort of pluck a new um, teaching idea from somewhere on the web, and I talk about how it could be useful for differentiating instruction for all kids. So that will be as helpful for a physical education teacher, as for a chemistry teacher, as for a preschool teacher. And then Facebook is the other place to find me. A lot of people don't sort of go to the websites a lot unless they need them, but yep. people are, a lot of people are on Facebook regularly. So you can just do Paula Clues and you don't have to, there's no stress. You don't have to wait to see if we're friends. You just hit the like button and nice. we're, we're connected. Beautiful. Well, uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time out and uh, and having this conversation because it's one that, as I look back at, at our, our old shows, it's one we haven't had in a while and it's one that uh, I think we were due to have. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity.
Awesome. Um, final minutes here, just uh, for me to kind of close up with you guys. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I really am excited for this conversation and, and excited with where it went is this idea of the inclusion philosophy. Uh, I really like Paula's perspective because it's more than just setting up a class in a certain way. It's about embracing a, a, a way of thinking, a way of viewing the world, um, which is one that I personally feel like I didn't always have as a child, but got later on. Um, you know, my school, when I grew up, um, we were not very inclusive. Uh, my, my town was split up into two, two halves, a, a North school and a South school. And, and the, the South school, which I didn't attend, actually was the, um, the, the special education school. Um, it was really the inclusion school where if any child had a, a unique need, a special need, that's where they would go. And, and based on geography, I lived on the north side of town, so I went to the north school. And, um, and we didn't have that. And I don't, looking back, feel like we had a very inclusive environment. And it was something that I got ultimately in college that I feel like changed my life, where I got to go to a school with the most diverse population I could have imagined, whether it be ethnicity, uh, beliefs, uh, social, uh, sorry, sexual orientation, disability, um, you name it, we had it, everyone was there, and you had to embrace each other one way or the other. And there's good and there's bad that comes with inclusion. I, I think everyone listening knows it, it can be challenging and it can be tough. But as one of those students, I feel like in many ways that laid the foundation for the career I ultimately have and the, the life that I ultimately um, got to lead. And uh, as Paula talked about, one of those kids uh, or the kids from her research who have, who have really benefited whether it be academically, socially, in terms of the careers that they've taken or chosen, et cetera. Um, I feel like I'm one of those kids, um, but I got it later on. It was something that I, I feel like I always wanted, never had. I truly didn't know I wanted it until I got it. And, um, and as I said, I, I think it's one of the most important things that I, I got in my life was to be around just the, my most diverse, inclusive environment that I could have chosen for those four years. Um, so I, I feel like I'm one of those kids who got those benefits and now I'm an adult who gets to talk about it and, and preach about it a little bit. Um, so that's why I, this really means a lot to me because of, of what it's done for me. Uh, so final 30 seconds, please, as always, questions, more info at autismtherapies.com. I want them. I need them. I need a few more for our mailbag show that I want to do this summer. Um, Facebook, check us out, post your thoughts. Let me know if you have any questions or comments there. I'm always happy to, to respond and, and hear what you guys are saying. You guys always also give me such amazing links and references and information that it always keeps me learning more too. With all of that, have a fabulous week. I will be, uh, hopefully not bringing too much of my baggage to my trip to New York and enjoying myself and, uh, and be all energized and ready to go next week. Take care, everybody. We hope.
hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us for another edition next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 